Amen. Amen. Such a good spirit here this morning, Baruch Hashem, what God is doing. You know, the month of Adar is starting this week, and the sages say that in month, the month of Adar, that joy increases. Amen. Good news. Can you hear Ratzon? Indeed. And this year we get a double portion Adar. In Adar 1, we get a double portion of good of goodness, double portion of increased joy, double portion of good news. Amen? Amen. The month of good news. Let's say our bracha for Torah study and get right into uh, our, our drosh this morning. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen. I want to begin this morning as we're talking about Ruth. Uh, not, not Ruth, Sleeko. I'm talking about Esther. Sleeko. We're talking about Ruth next time. Yeah. Talking about Esther, we're in the fifth chapter of Esther, but before I get there, I want to read a couple of stories because Hashem had me to read these yesterday. When I went to uh, pick up our daughter from, from school, I knew I was going to get there just a little early, and so I grabbed a book to take to read while I was waiting, and I, I took along the uh, Elena LeShebeach book that has stories that are paired with the Torah portion. I haven't read this book in many, many, many weeks. It's just, I, mean, I think it's been on my mind. I need to, to see what good stories might be there. And so these two are related, and they, they're pertinent to this time, and they're Hashem-inspired. During one of the doctor's strikes in Israel, a certain doctor came to my house very distraught. He explained that one of his patients had been upset over the fact that his daughter was not receiving treatment, and the man had vehemently cursed him. Now understand, these stories are related to the Torah portion, Mishpatim, okay? But we're studying Esther, right? Okay. Should I, should I be concerned about this curse, the doctor asked? Unfortunately, I replied, I have to tell you that you should be concerned about the curse. I explained that the responsibility for a patient's health falls upon every doctor individually, and a doctor cannot absolve himself of his responsibilities to heal by claiming that the medical establishment is on strike. I quoted the Vilna Gaon, his explanation of the words that Mordecai had said to Esther in order to convince her to approach Ahasuerus. He said, For you, if you persist in keeping silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jews from another place, while you and your father's house will perish. Esther 4.14. We read that last week. These words, say the Vilagon, are supported by the, very, the verse in Mishlei that says, One who grows lax in his work is also a brother to the master of destruction. In Proverbs 18, 19. One who grows lax in his work is also a brother to the master of destruction. 
Mordecai was telling Esther, if you don't take upon yourself the responsibility to approach the king, you can consider, be considered an accomplice of the evil Haman, the oppressor of the Jews. You have to take the patient's curse seriously. I told the doctor, because you are not carrying out your weight of responsibility as a doctor, Halakha does not recognize the concept of worker strikes <laughs> or doctor strikes which endanger people's lives, which is certainly a violation of halakha. So I was reading that, I was thinking about the next story that's coming up. And um, I was reminded that the issue with Esther was that she was the one who was in the unique position to affect change. She was in the unique position in order to go before the king and to plead and intercede on behalf of the Jewish people. She was the physician. And physician, heal thyself, comes into play here because it's the physician's job to do what he can do. You know, by the way, I should say that it's not the medicine that heals, it's God that heals. Because we can apply medicine to one case and it works, and we can apply it to another case and it doesn't work. How many times has that happened? All the time. One person uses Advil the other per because it works really great on them. The other person says, Advil has no effect on me, so I use Tylenol. Whatever. At the end of the day, when the doctor treats, he's just using, he's using his skill. He's using his knowledge, yes. He's using his training, absolutely. He's using his experience. But at the end of the day, it's all God. That's why we're all physicians. We show up with our tools of the trade. We show up with our medicine cabinet. It's called the Word of God. We, we show up with our, with our prescription medicine. It's called prayer. We show up with our intuition, which is our x-ray machines, our MRIs. And that's how we affect change in our community. And therefore, the task is not left up to somebody else. We can't claim that the religion is on strike. Therefore, I'm not going into the hospital today. We're all physicians, and we're all called to do our part to affect the care of the patient. How many times are there operating rooms full of doctors and nurses? Everybody's doing their part. So another story here. It says, there was an eight-year-old daughter of a certain Tamid Hakam who began experiencing severe headaches and feeling generally unwell. At first, her parents sought to treat her symptoms with standard pain relievers, but they did not help. They brought her to the emergency room of Tel Hashomer Hospital. After exhaustive testing, she was diagnosed with meningitis. The girl was treated with the appropriate medications, but her condition did not improve. The doctors were perplexed by the symptoms and could not explain what exactly was wrong with her. They concluded that she must not be suffering from meningitis, but from an, infected, an infection in the brain itself. However, they could not determine the nature of the infection. One of the things that baffled the doctors was the results of the girl's blood test. They were results that they had never seen before. So they brought in a specialist. The specialist was mystified, and he said, only God knows what's wrong with her. An MRI was performed and her parents consulted with the leading specialist, the only seemingly responsible explanation was she, she had the malignant tumor. The growth would have to be removed surgically, along, of course, with a portion of her brain. 
And the doctor's prognosis for her condition following the surgeon, surgery was not encouraging. She had bad news, a bad report. Mikhail's, the song addresses that. The surgery date was set for two weeks. Hence, in the meantime, in the meantime, the surgery was, the date was set. The doctors knew what the issue was now. They were set for surgery. The surgery debt was saved for two weeks away. In the meantime, the parents embarked on a campaign to encourage people to improve their, recit their recitation of blessings, and in particular, the blessing of Asher Yatzar, which is the, rest the, the, the blessing we say after we have used the restroom, which uh, I, it's in the Siddur, in the uh, Sephardic version, it's on page 17. I don't recall the page number in the Ashkenazi. But if you read the Asher Yatsar blessing, you'll see that it has to do with God being the healer of the human body. Now, I want to say something about this particular blessing. Because when, you read, when I read this, I immediately was, was struck by this Hashem obviously knew what he was doing when he had me to read this, this story. Because one of the things that we do as all human beings, doesn't matter if you're wealthy or poor, you're white, you're black, you're Indian, you're Hispanic, no matter what your race, no matter who you, no matter who you are, every human being uses the restroom. It's the most mundane and base thing that we do as humans, and it's, a, it's, necess it's, a, it's necessary, which is why sometimes the restroom is called the necessary. And yet, it's the one thing, above all things, I happen to believe, unless somebody could cite another example, which is fine, but that we, we take for granted. We go to the restroom, we do what needs to be done, we leave, we don't give it a second thought. But what happens if we cannot go to the bathroom? You're going to die pretty quick. And so this, this, this blessing takes, takes God's involvement in our healing, involvement in the functionality of our life to the very core element, which is why the family said, let's encourage people to be more faithful in this bracha. So it says they publicized their daughter's name to hundreds of families, asking them to recite the Asher Yatsar out loud. That's all. Just say it out loud. Many families called the parents and thanked them for the hizuk that they experienced as a result of the decision to say Asher Yatsar out loud. Why? Because saying such a bracha draws you so close to God when you realize that the very mundane, the most essentially mundane thing of all human beings is dependent upon Him. There was an outstanding fulfillment of the mitzvah. You shall love your fellow as yourself and a demonstration of how Jews feel each other's pain. It was amazing to witness the outpouring of friendship and affection with which our request was greeted everywhere, the family member said. The parents embarked on this campaign late one night when their daughter was asleep, so the daughter didn't know. The following morning, the girl woke up and told her parents, before I went to sleep, I decided to take upon myself to say a blessing out loud. 
so that Hashem should me, send me a speedy recovery. And the parents were astonished, and they took that as a sign that this was all from Hashem. The family also asked its non-observant relatives to take upon themselves a small little hizuk, a small little mitzvah for the girl's recovery. Asher Yatsar, they thought, maybe something that would be not quite familiar to them. But the father asked members to say Psalm 20. May Hashem answer you on the day of your distress and the daughter's merit. The relatives did not understand how this would help. I mean, after all, she needs a physician, not a psalm. She needs surgery, not, not a prayer. But because they wanted to honor the parents and honor the girl, they did it. A day before the operation, the girl went in for another MRI. After the MRI was performed, the medical staff wanted to go ahead and begin taking blood tests and get, get the girl ready for surgery. They were surprised, however, when the girl's mother requested that the prep be delayed until the results of the MRI could be made available. Why do we need the results, the doctors asked. What could have changed in such a short amount of time? Several things could have, ha have happened since then, mother said. The doctors insisted they did not need the results of the second MRI before proceeding with the preparation for the surgery. But the mother insisted as well. She knew how many blessings they had received from the Rabbanim and from the Gedolim and how many blessings, prayers, and chapters of tefillin had been recited fervently and audibly in the merit of the girl's recovery. See how insistent the mother was the doctor agreed to review the results of the MRI. They could not believe what they saw. The affected area of the brain was only one quarter the size it had been previously. It was now obvious that the problem was not a malignant growth because it was impossible for such a growth to recede so quickly. How can this be, they exclaimed. The specialist said, what to Helam did you recite that caused this miracle? <laughs> and the parents were thanking Hashem and the family members did not understand the non-observant family members asked when they got the good news how how do we know that it was to to to, to heal him and they said because the specialist asked us what to heal him did you pray he knew he wanted to know because he knew that this could only be caused by the hand of god the result was a tremendous kiddush hashem that this little girl's diagnosis, that her sickness, her illness, led to an entire community being transformed by the power and by the word of God. When he related the story to us, the father added that on the outset of the illness, when they had approached one of the leading rabbis of B'nai Brak and apprised him of the situation, the rab assured him by saying, it's nothing. With Hashem's help, everything will be fine. Even when the father told the doctors what the doctors suspected, the Rav repeated his assertion that everything will be fine. In the end, when the doctor's suspicions were proven to be unfounded, the delighted father hurried to tell the Rav the good news, and he asked him, how did you know, Rav, that everything will be fine? 
And the Rob says, I have a tradition from my teachers that as long as the information is not conclusive and the doctors have not determined with 100% certainty what the diagnosis is, that means that in heaven the outcome is still in the balance and that our words matter with respect to what we say. It's worth adding, it says, that even after a conclusive diagnosis is made, prayer can still tear up the evil decree. On Shabbat morning, it's my custom to arise earlier than some might. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you get up earlier, I don't know. But I get up at 6.37, and I go to the table, and I study. And for me personally, it's a time for prep. For the drosh, certainly, but more than that, it's the time when I have the most holy clarity. I'm by myself, my family's asleep, the dogs are asleep. <laughs> Sometimes it's just me and the cat, but usually she's asleep too. <laughs> but it's a time of holy clarity. It's a time when I just feel like I'm just getting downloads from Hashem, and He just puts pieces together, and He speaks to me about stuff, and it's just a very, for me, it's just, it's the best time of the week. And I was thinking about this story, and I was thinking about the situation we have in our community. And with the permission I've asked already, our sister Cheryl has been given a bad report. And I just wanted to say that Earlier in the week, a day or two ago, another sister of ours, Sarah Weaver, had put on the Ask the Rabbi page about the Asher Yatsar Baraka. And so I answered the Halakha with respect to that blessing. And I felt, not, I mean, it was perfectly fine to ask, but there's no coincidence in Hashem. The fact that that Baraka got brought up and then this, and when I was preparing for the drosh, today's message centers principally around Tehillim 22, which is the prayer of Esther, which is one of the psalms read for those who are ill and need a healing. And so this is what I felt like Hashem was saying to me this morning as, as I was sitting there at my study time and just in, in the moment was that this is our opportunity to stand up and be that physician to treat the patient. Amen. That I want us all to make a special hizuk, a special commitment, that we should say the Asher Yatsar, after, after, after every time that we use the restroom, you should wash your hands, leave the restroom, and say the blessing. You have a half, one half hour to some say up to an hour and 20 minutes to say the bracha. So you can leave the restroom, go back to your desk at work, go back someplace else if you're not at the, at the office or whatever, and say the blessing at your desk or at, at your kitchen, wherever you are, and say the blessing. We should also recite Psalm 22, the Psalm of Esther, every day. And we should do these two things in the merit of our sister Cheryl, that she should receive the blessing. And you may be saying, there may be somebody there, and if you're watching online, I'm talking to you as well. All of us. Kolachad. Somebody might be thinking, but I, I, need an Ill, I need a healing. When you water a garden, 
you connect a water hose to the spigot. The garden hose gets the water first, but it's the channel of the blessing. Our sister is the, the garden being watered, and you're the hose. So bring down the water from Shemayim and bring the blessing. And Mikael, your mom should continue to pray and continue to pray and continue to pray. Today I would like to dedicate this drosh to my sister Cheryl for her healing, that Hashem should bring to her all of the Kedusha from, from the prayer of Esther this morning. Baruch Hashem. <clears throat> Let us turn now to the Megillah and begin this campaign. We are in the book of Esther. And let me just repeat the word of the Rav, because I've already said it to them, to both Yeshai and Cheryl, but I'll say it. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Hashem calls us to opportunities. And he called Esther to an opportunity. And you understand that we have Haman in this story who's bringing about a great plague upon the children of Israel. And you have Esther who's now risking her life to go before the king. And you have Mordecai whose life is being risked because he won't bow before the evil Haman. And all of this is a great tragedy, and it's very evil, and it's a very bad report. But instead of giving in to despair, instead of giving in to hopelessness, everybody decides to become the physician. And the end result is not just that the plague is averted. It's not just that the enemy is hung on his own uh, hangman's noose. It's not just that it turns out well. It, the end result is that the entire community becomes Torah observant and adds thousands of converts to their ranks. So we look at a situation like I've just described and we think to ourselves, why, why, why? I don't have all the answers to why, but I can tell you that sometimes the answer is because Hashem wants to bring strength and righteousness and growth to a community. And so we say, Gamzule Tova. In chapter 5 uh, of the Megillah of Esther, let's, Slika, let me say the Bibraka. Marukata Adonai, Eloheinu Melakaulam, Asher Kidshano Bimitsata Vetsivano Al Mikra Megillah. Amen. Chapter 5 says, Now it came to pass on the third day. The sages say that we'll be re resurrected on the third day. Yes. Now it came to pass on the third day, Esther donned royalty. The sages say, it doesn't say that she donned royal garments. The actual Hebrew says that she donned royalty, meaning that she donned the Ruach HaKodesh. On a literal sense, it means that she got up and, and put her best, finest royal dress on with her big, beautiful crown because she was trying to get the favor of the king. So she dressed in her majesty. But in the, in the, the, on the um, Darash level... She put on the, the Holy Spirit. She put on the Ruach HaKodesh. It says she donned royalty 
and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, facing the king's house while the king was sitting on his throne and the throne room facing the chamber's entrance. When the king noticed Queen Esther standing in the courtroom, she won his favor. The king extended to Esther the gold scepter that was in his hand, and Esther approached and touched the tip of the, of the scepter. Now there's a backstory here that I want to I get to. And it says, and before I do that, let me, let, me, let me read something here really quick from Midrash Rabbah Esther 9.2. Midrash Rabbah Esther 9.2. Where is Haman in the Torah? Because in this chapter, it says um, that he extended the tip of the scepter, and the king said to her, What is it for you, O Queen Esther? And what is your position? Petition. Even if it be half the kingdom, it should be granted to you. Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king commanded, Tell Haman to hurry and fulfill Esther's wish. So the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared. The king said to Esther during the wine feast, What is your request? It shall be granted to you. What is your petition? Even if it be half the kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. So Esther answered and said, My request and my petition is, if I have won in the king's favor, and if it pleases the king, to grant my request and to perform my petition, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I prepared for them tomorrow, and I will do the king's bidding. That day Haman went out joyfully and exuberant. Why did he go out joyfully and exuberant? Because he was the only one who had been invited, and he thought that this meant that he had the king and the queen in his pocket. But when Haman noticed Mordecai in the king's gate and that he neither stood up nor stirred before him, that means that Mordecai didn't even give him the time of day. He walked by as if, as if it was a piece of paper floating by. <laughs> Haman was infuriated with Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. He sent for his friends and his wife Zeresh, and Haman recounted to them the glory of his wealth and his many sons in every instance when the king had promoted him and advanced him about the officials and royal servants. Haman said, Moreover, Queen Esther invited no one but myself to accompany the king to the banquet that she had prepared. And tomorrow, too, I am invited by her along with the king. Yet this means nothing to me so long as I see the Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. You know, this goes along with the sages say that those who lust for power and lust for wealth and lust for lust can never be satisfied. There's no satisfaction. You can't ever have enough money. You can't ever have enough power. You can't ever have enough, you know, other bad things because there's that spirit. But God says you'll get to the point where you say, Dianu, to me, and yet I'll just keep giving you more. Keep giving you more. So it says here that uh, verse 14, Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends say to him, Let a gallows be made 50 cubits high. The story goes they couldn't find a gallow. They couldn't find any lumber that big. So they actually went up to Mount Arath and brought down a piece of the ark and used it to make the gallow. 
Tomorrow morning, speak to the king and have them hang Mordecai on it. Then in good spirits, accompany the king to the banquet. This suggestion pleased Haman, and he had the gallows erected. So in the Midrash Rabbah, 9-2, says, where do we find... Where do we find Mordecai, or excuse me, Haman rather, in the Torah? It says, for the sages over there, that is in Babylon, said, where is there an allusion to Haman? That's Haman, that's He, Mim, Nun, Sophit, in the Torah. And it is said, Shenemar, Hamin, Chaetz. And it says that God said to Adam, have you eaten Hamin, Hamin is the same word as Haman. Same words pronounced differently. Have you eaten Hamin of the tree? Ha'etz, Hamin Ha'etz, from which I commanded you not to eat. Haman is synonymous with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So for, we've talked before our very first uh, lesson from Esther. We talked about how Esther is in the Torah this is another example. This is Haman in the Torah. Haman is the tree, the one that we're forbidden to eat from. Have you eaten from that tree which I forbade you? Expounding the phrase Hamin Ha'etz as, it were, as if it were vocalized Haman Ha'etz, which can also be, Ha'etz can be read as the gallows. So it says Haman Ha'etz. Have you eaten from the gallows? Have you eaten from Haman the gallows? See, the issue is, is that Haman is Adam's fault. This is what the Midrash Rabbah says, that ultimately we bring Haman on ourselves. How do we do it? It says here, there's a whole write-up about it, but I'm just going to quote one section. It says, Were it not for the sin of Adam, which opened up to man the possibility of sin, of disobeying the divine directive. So sin is disobeying the divine directive. A crime as egregious as that of Haman would never have been possible. Where in the Torah is the source of Haman's monstrous sin? It is in Adam's benign disobedience. That first disobedience perpetrated by humankind's progenitor, despite its lofty motivation, is what made possible defiance of God's command for all mankind. In other words, Adam wanted to eat from the tree because he just wanted to know more. It wasn't necessarily particularly evil. He, didn't, he wasn't looking for power necessarily or lust or wealth. And besides that, he was handed it to him by his, his wife, so it's kind of a, he's kind of an accessory, but he's not the one who actually pulled the trigger. So it's not such a big sin. So how was his sin eating from Haman Ha'etz, Hamin Ha'etz? How is that related to Haman, who's going to destroy all of God's people? And the lesson is, is that our little bit of lax can lead to a Haman down the road. Which is why our little nonchalant, it doesn't really matter, I don't really care. Someone says, I don't want to be a legalist. I'm not necessarily arguing for legalism. And believe me, I know what that is. But I'm going to say that if I had to be 
one way or the other, I'm going to lean a little legalistic. Why? Because just reaching up and taking a bite of an apple or whatever it was, a fig or whatever it was, brought death to all of mankind. Not being scrupulous in Kashrut brought death to all mankind in Kashrut. And so we don't want to be people that are stringent. We don't want to be people that are over the top. But I'm just going to say, we neither do we want to be people who are just lackadaisical, doesn't really matter, don't really care. Because the don't really care, lackadaisical attitude, you know, kesara, sara, to each his own, if it harm none, whatever that witchcraft is, then it brings Haman's in the future. Now going back to Esther, it says here, Ma'am Loez, that Esther, it says God gave her this enlightenment on the third day because he does not allow a saint to suffer more than three days. That's why the Mashiach wasn't allowed to be in the, in the, in the grave, so to speak, more than three days because he never allows his righteous to suffer more than three days. Now, we have a story in the book of 2 Samuel 16, 5 through 13. 2 Samuel 16, 5 through 13. Put that on the screen if you would. 2 Samuel 16, 5 through 13. If we want to learn about the origins of Haman, we can say you could go back to Saul and the king of Agai. But before you, but you also have to look at the story of David and this um, character, Shimi. It says, When King David arrived at Bahurim, behold, just coming out from there was a man of the family of the house of Saul. His name was Shimi, son of Gera. As he came out, he kept on cursing, kept on cursing David, and flinging stones at David and at all of David's servants while all the people and all the mighty men were at his right and on his left. Thus Shimei said as he cursed, get out of here, get out the man of bloodshed, the good for nothing. Saying this to the king. So it says here that Adonai has returned on you all the blood of Saul's house in whose place you've reigned. Adonai has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom to see your own evil has overtaken you because you are a man of bloodshed. Then Abishai, the son of Zerai, said to the king, Why let this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over now and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, son of Zerai? If he curses, it is because Adonai has said to him, Curse David. So who should say, Why did you do so? Then David said to Abishai and to all of his officials, Look, my son who came from my own body is seeking my life. How much more this Benjamite? Leave him alone and let him curse since Adonai has told him. The end result, the sages talk about here, is that because of... Uh, David not cursing him, this brings us to our story. Rashi says Shimei was the head of the Sanhedrin 
and such a person would not have cursed me without divine sanction. The point I'm trying to make here is that all things stem from God and there's a purpose in all things and sometimes it's a seemingly bad thing at first. In this case, the man is, is cursing David, but Hashem, uh, through David, allows him to live. Why? Because from this man is going to come Mordecai. Mordecai is a descendant of Shimei. And the, the Megillah, the, the tractate Megillah 13b, says that King David foresaw prophetically that salvation was going to come from this man who was cursing them. And so he said, let him go. Let him, this is God's doing something. It's a test. What seems to be a curse is actually going to end up to be our salvation. And so Radak says, Shimi was God's agent of punishment for David's sin. The racist Holcomb explains David's attitude towards Shimi's curses. Sometimes, or excuse me, someone who feels attached to God is unconcerned with the insults of human beings. Let me say that again. Someone who feels attached to God is unconcerned with the insults of human beings. His aspirations are spiritual and the insults of human beings are meaningless to him. When a servant standing before the king is reviled by bystanders, he does not respond. To do so would in itself be disrespectful to the king. Now, to that point, let me say this. That I, I shared, shared in an aliyah a few days ago, however long ago. Not everybody likes what we're doing. Right? right. That is a shock to many of you. <laughs> Not everybody is super excited about what we're doing here. Right? I know, right? <laughs> and sometimes you get, on, you get around family or friends or people you don't even know. That's even the best part. We get so concerned about what somebody says about us. We have no idea who they are. We're not even sure they're real. <laughs> Do you know how many people you argue with on Facebook and it, they're not even real? They have a, they have a fake profile. It's some 13-year-old in their or mom, mom's basement in the pajamas. <clears throat> and here you are, you spent the entire day arguing with them. Right? We often get concerned about, we, we don't live our lives because we're concerned about what some random person at Target might think when they see us. And I explained that when we know that we're doing God's will, we're not concerned with all the mayhem that people go, that goes on around us. We just, we just, you know, it's like, the, like, a, like an airplane. We just, we just close the visor. You, or if you're at the, the example I use is you're at the zoo and you got your little popcorn and you're, you're watching the uh, jackals or the monkeys or the kangaroos or whatever and they're getting all excited, they're upset and they're, they're jumping around and you're behind the glass and you're like, oh, look at them jump around, that's cute. 
Go to the next exhibit. You know why? Because they're not, they can't get to you. They can't break the glass and jump on you. So why are we letting them? We're acting like they're stopping us. We're sitting there arguing with the jackals on the other side of the glass. And, and God is just saying, could you just move on? I want you to see the other exhibits. They're not stopping you. Hello, they're not stopping you. But yet we let them stop us. We let the Haman stop us. We let the bad reports stop us. And it happens. We're human beings. We suffer. We get depressed. My wife and I was just having a conversation with just somebody this week. And the person was saying, I went through a bad time. And I was having a, I was having a real difficult time just really getting back in the sink of living a Jewish life. And Rebbe said, yeah, listen. Listen. We've had people in our life at this, in this synagogue who've hurt us deeply, wounded us brutally. And she, she said, it's true, and I felt the same way. When we were going through those moments, that moment I'm thinking of, we were so brutally hurt, it was difficult to look for a hexure on a, on a canned good because there was a temptation to walk away. But here's where the victory happens. When you hear the bad report, when you have the, the trial, when you're going through the, the issue, when you're, when you're struggling with that bam right in your face, your response is to heal him. Your response is prayer. Your response is wrapped to the feeling when you don't want to. Nobody gets a reward for wrapping the feeling when you want to. It's when you don't want to. And that's when you know it's real. You know it's real when you're the only one doing it. You know it's real when nobody can drag you from it. You know it's real when you have somebody like Esther who puts on a royal garb and then she is filled with the Holy Spirit and she's full of power. They say she went on the second day because it was the third day that she had the fest. She later had the festival, the second festival. But she went on the second day. And the reason she went on the second day is she was so full of the Spirit. Now, let me just say this. For people that rely upon feelings, if you don't, I don't feel the Spirit, you're about to be shown a lesson. Okay? So it says here, as Esther walked into the king's chambers, the divine presence was with her. She's feeling powerful. I look beautiful. I'm wearing my crown. The best dress. I've never worn it, in fact. I'm full of the Ruach HaKodesh. They said she had gold shoes on. I can't afford those, Reb had seen. Either that or Shul's going to have to get mightily blessed. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but it says, but when she entered the royal chamber, when she entered the royal chamber and beheld the many idols there, the divine presence left her. Uh-oh. No more fill the spirit moment. What are you going to do? If you don't fill the spirit, you're going to continue to do what's right? Or are you going to retreat until you feel the Spirit again? 
move forward and do what's right, even if you don't feel the Spirit? Or are you going to retreat and just live in that moment of nothingness where nothing gets done, nothing gets accomplished because you like the euphoria of the feeling more than you actually like the blessing of the doing? And so she said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sages say Psalm 22 is all about Esther. Ma'am Loez says, Esther stood there in the palace court opposite the throne room immersed in prayer. What was she praying? Some say the Shemini Esrei, others say Psalm 22. Her very standing there was in itself a prayer. Also on her lips at that moment was a prayer for the Holy Temple. One who had to pass through seven doors. One had to pass through seven doors to enter the king's throne room. Esther walked in with so much authority and so much self-assurance that the guards didn't even stop her. Before anyone realized what had happened, she was standing opposite the throne. You know, like they went to the guards and said, how come you didn't arrest him? And they said, we've never heard anybody teach like he teaches. How come you didn't stop her? We've never saw anybody come in with such authority like she comes in. And so it says, Psalm twenty-two, twelve: Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. That's what Esther was saying when she was standing in front of the tomb. The soldiers saw her there, and they knew she had committed wrong. And the, initially, the sages say that the king was bitterly angry with her. And the soldiers picked up on that. And it says that she could hear them whisper because they were making plans to divide up her jewelry and they wanted to take her royal robe and divide it amongst themselves after she had been executed. Because in this psalm, let me just read Psalm 22. Let me just read Psalm 22 if I can here. Now you might be asking yourself, wait a minute. Psalm 22 is about Esther. How come Yeshua was quoting it at the crucifixion? You're starting to get it. <laughs> It'll come to you in a second. See, because, oh, because her, she's Esther. She's the concealed. She's the hidden. And so the reason that he said what he said on the crucifixion pole was because he was the hidden being revealed. He was saying, listen, just like you couldn't see God and didn't know what he was at work, just know that what's happening here is God happening behind the scenes, so to speak. This is Psalm 22. For the conductor of Eilis Ha Shakar, a song of David, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So far from saving me from the words of my roar. Oh my God, I called out by day and you do not answer. By night and there is no respite for me. Yet you are the Holy One enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not shamed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorn of humanity, 
despised of nations. Two things there. The reason it says a man, even though it's accredited to Esther, is because this is talking about Israel as a whole. Because Esther was the Mashiach, so to speak, for all of Israel. And it says we're, we're just a worm. And that's true. The commentators say we are just a worm. However, like a worm, the only thing that a worm has to work with is its mouth. And because of that, a worm can take down a mighty oak tree. Therefore, the lesson to us is if all we have is our mouth, we can use it for prayer and for recitation of God's word. And in so doing, we can take down mighty, mighty, mighty things. All who see me deride me. They open their mouths. They wag their heads. Reliance on Adonai. He will deliver him. He will save him. For he desires him. Because you drew me forth from the womb and made me, rest, made me secure my mother's breast, I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. But not aloof from me. For distress is near. Be not aloof from me, for distress is near, for there is none to help me. Incidentally, the sages say that when she says Eli, Eli, she's using the Hebrew, the Hebrew El, which means God. Because in the 13 attributes, you have Hashem, Hashem, El. And so the sages say that El is the third level of God's mercy, which is the highest level. Hashem, mercy, Hashem, mercy, El heightened mercy and she mentions l three times in this psalm it says many bulls surround me basham's mighty ones encircle me they open their mouth against me like a tearing roaring lion i am poured out like water and all my bones become disjointed my heart is like wax melting within my innards my spittle is dry like baked clay and my tongue sticks to my palate in the dust of death you set me down for dogs surround me a pack of evildoers enclose me. Incidentally, the, psal the psalmists say that there are exactly 248 words in this psalm which correspond to the 248 limbs of the human body, which is why it's, it's one of the very uh, psalms accustomed for healing because it brings healing to the 248 parts of the human body. It says, be like a lion on my hands and on my feet. I count all my bones. They look on and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothes. Again, it says, they wanted to cast a lot for Esther's clothing. And according to Midrash Shokar Tov, they specifically wanted her royal robe, her royal mantle that she had been wearing. And that's why they went for Yeshua's robe. They wanted his mantle. But you, Hashem, be not far from me. O oh, my strength, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only one from the grip of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, as you have answered from the horns of Reimim. Nobody knows what the horns of the Reimim are, but they know it must have been some type of really mighty animal. Some say like a, a giant unicorn or some type of giant elk or something. We know it's the horn of our salvation, Messiah Yeshua. It says, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And it points out, the sages point out when it, when it says the midst of the congregation, those who fear Hashem, it's talking about the converts. 
that her prayer was not only going to affect salvation for herself and salvation for the nation, but it was actually going to affect salvation for the whole world. You who fear Hashem, praise Him. All of you, seed of Jacob, glorify Him. Be frightened of Him, all you seed of Israel. For He has neither despised nor loathed the screams of the poor, nor has He concealed His face from upon Him. But when He cried to Him for help, He heard. You are the cause of my praise in the great congregation. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear him. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Hashem will praise him. May your hearts be alive forever. All the ends of the earth remember and turn back to Hashem. All the families of the nations will bow down before you, for the kingship belongs to you, and he rules over the nations. They will eat all the fat of the land and bow down, and all who go down to the dust will kneel before him. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, but he will not revive his soul. By the seed, he's talking, that's talking about the wicked. By the seed who will serve him, but, excuse me, by the seed who will serve him, the Lord will be proclaimed to the generation. They will come and tell of his righteousness to the newborn nation that which he has done. May that be for the healing of our sister Cheryl. One final thing. God tests us sometimes, and only he knows what he's trying to find. But when Job, when, when Job was chosen by God, and he asked Satan, have you considered my servant Job? How Satan cursed me, he said, if I afflict him, he'll curse you. And God said, try it. And Job was a convert, converted, some say, by Dina, the daughter of Jacob. And instead of cursing God, Job became more observant and closer to God. And that's why in the end of the story was he was revived and everything he was had was blessed seven times over. Let us take a lesson from Esther in this story. That when the, everything looks grim and it doesn't look like there's any hope and it looks like death is certain, that the only thing we have to do is to press forward in Hashem and watch His salvation. Because everything, everything, everything is dependent upon Him. And Jews are not subject, we're not limited to the natural laws. The seas part before us. And high places are made level and low places are brought up. We are not subject, we're not dependent upon the laws of nature. We are dependent upon the power of God, not by might, not by power, but by His Spirit. I want everybody to, everybody who's listening, watching online, all of us, everybody here, whenever you use the restroom, say the Asher Yatzer Baraka. And every day, read Psalm 22 and let us watch the hand of God work a powerful miracle for our sister and not just, uh, not just our sister, but us. Yes. If one is sick, we're all sick. 
And if one rejoices, we all rejoice. So what do we know? What do we know? Yeah. 